0: Thank you. The author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. And this is my podcast where I get to interview authors and hear their stories and hear their process. And it is so enjoyable to do. So today, puppy update. The puppy is getting bigger and there are no dogs in the studio. So hopefully, hopefully we will have a very smooth podcast. Today, I have HS Bernie with me. She is a corporate leader by day and a novelist by night. She received her bachelor's in creative writing from Lafayette College. And shortly after graduation, HS set out on her journey, building a banking career at breakneck speed. And her writing took a back seat, which I totally relate. I totally relate to that. Today, we're talking about her debut novel, The Lake Templeton Murders. It is a Fatih Rizvi private investigator mystery. It is fast moving, lots of action. HS, welcome. We we managed to make this work.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. I'm super excited to be here, and yes, I'm so glad we could finally do this. Uh, you know, it can, it can be challenging sometimes getting our schedules aligned. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Oh, good, good, good.
0: So, let's start off right away. Um, I've got lots of questions, and I'm, but let's first, if you could tell the listeners what the Lake Templeton Murders is about.
1: Thanks, Joanna. So as you mentioned, it is my debut novel. It's a small town mystery. It's set in a fictional town on Vancouver Island right here in British Columbia. It's a town of 5,000 people uh, and it's never known murder before. Uh, it's a quiet, sleepy town and a body washes up on shore. And that's when we meet my, my main character, private investigator Fatty Rizui, who's an independent, highly determined, scrappy crime solver. And she gets there on scene to solve the puzzle Um, You know, she starts opening the door to Lake Templeton and then she finds all kinds of colorful characters, lots of strong personalities with all kinds of secrets. And she quickly realizes that she has her work cut out for her. So the the book follows Fatty on her journey to figuring out what exactly is going on at Lake Templeton that led to uh, the murder that we uh, are introduced to at the beginning of the book. So um, hopefully a fast moving mystery, as as you mentioned, and uh, that can keep the, the readers engaged.
0: Yeah. Well, I found the writing was tight and uh, you say scrappy about Fatih. And um, I'm thinking of some of the dialogue and the scene with the mayor, you know, like the mayor and her are just mm, (laughs) they're being civil. But that's a really good scene, you know, because they're both two very strong (laughs) women. Right. Yeah. Yeah. that's true you know mm-hmm. she's that uh, the
1: mayor is definitely one of those strong personalities that you uh that uh, I mentioned earlier I really enjoyed writing her I have yeah. to say and I really enjoyed uh you know the the tension of those scenes with uh, with Fati. like and, and Fati
0: ho- holds her own like she's not backing down right <laughs> it's good <laughs> that's who she is yeah yeah so like I said you hooked me in the beginning and it's interesting what captures a reader. Um, you know, I'm reading that she is about to board a ferry to Nanaimo. I was born in Nanaimo. Um, I lived in Nanaimo for like, God, 20 years. And it was these two lines where Fati says, no, I am not the police. Police require warrants before they break down doors. I only need a good pair of boots. You know, um, Like like I said, she is strong, she is determined. So how did you come about creating Fatih? Um, Like, how did you, tell us about, about her.
1: I think the phrase that you mentioned, Joanna, perfectly encapsulates who she is, right? So Fatih starts her career on the police force but quickly quits because she doesn't really like following rules when it comes to solving cases. You know, she's relentless. She doesn't like coloring inside the lines. Um, And her career as a private investigator really allows her to earn a living her way without being bound to others' rules and, you know, just operating highly independently. She's sharp, she's blunt, she's fearless with suspects, and she'd do anything to solve a case. So she's pretty single-minded when it comes to that. Um, She really has no time for protocol. In fact, she enjoys ruffling feathers, as we've seen in uh, some of those dialogues um, that you mentioned with the mayor. And it's interesting because, you know, obviously, like most of the relationships in her life. So we are introduced to her personal relationships maybe aren't that great with her family and so on. And there's some background there. But uh, most of the relationships she does have in her life are for the sake of convenience. You know, it's people with access and resources who can help her solve cases. And it's what makes her really successful. And uh, I have to say, really enjoyed writing this character. I mean, she has so many traits that I personally really admire. Um, you know, there's traits that uh, are not that great. And uh, I think she's meant to be a flawed individual, but really, really good at what she does. Yeah. And
0: it was, like I said, there's, we'll get more into it, but even reading like some of the financial aspects of it as she's investigating, that was, that was neat. That was really neat, you know, and I, I, it just, it shows her, you know, it shows what type of a character she is. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm reading this novel. I was born in Nanaimo. And as I'm reading it, you mentioned Otter Lake. And I'm like, is that real? Is there an otter? Lake?" Like, I'm then like trying to, and I'm like, oh, okay. She made it up. I wonder if it's based off of, you know, if it's based off of any town. So I was curious about the local landscape because it was very refreshing to read. So why why Vancouver Island?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I have to say, Joanna, I'm obviously BC, uh, you know, BC gal through and through. But uh, I live in Burnaby on the lower mainland, but I really enjoy going to the island.
0: Okay. So
1: my husband and I travel there, you know, quite a bit um, every year. And, uh, you know, Otter Lake, I have to say, as just sim- similar to Lake Templeton is entirely fictional. But when I was writing, I was visualizing all these small towns, on the east side of Vancouver Island that I've driven through, you know, coastal communities like Lanceville, for example, that I've I've driven through and kind of really enjoyed. Um, You know, you've got the beautiful Qualicum beach area. Uh, It's just, there's so many beautiful towns out there. And uh, when I was writing these two locations, I was kind of drawing upon you know, all the, the experience I have in traveling through these towns and always kind of wondering, you know, I wonder what these people's lives are like. It's very diff- different from, you know, living in a bigger city like Vancouver or even Nanaimo. So that's kind of what I was trying to get to, but definitely both towns are entirely fictional. Yeah. Okay. We well, used to Lanceville.
0: Yeah. That's where I grew up.
1: Oh, like- you grew up in Lanceville. That's amazing. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> okay. So it's, you're just, God, you're getting me here when you're you're mentioning the locales, because it is really cool. It is really cool to read about local, you know, so, okay, so speaking of local, I'm I'm looking at that book cover. And I love that book cover. And when I saw it, I kept thinking, that's my neighborhood. Like I whether it's, I'm curious to know where the photo was taken, but it's, like I was looking at it and I thought that could be Long Lake, you know, Long Lake in Nanaimo with the mountains behind it. It could be anywhere on, on this island. So I was curious about that book cover.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting interesting uh, question, Joanna. So I commissioned a local book cover designer to essentially find the perfect photo
0: yeah.
1: um, that captured the air of mystery that I, I wanted to convey with Lake Templeton, but also, you know, incorporating the unique coastal BC landscape of mountains and water, right? Yeah. So I couldn't tell you exactly where the photo was taken, but that was kind of the vision I had when I was working with the local designer
0: here. And I think he did a great job, I have yeah. to say. Yeah, because it's eerie as well. You know, it's a very eerie. It's 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 cool. It's eerie, but like I said, I I was looking at it and I thought, yeah, that could be this place, that could be this place, you know. So okay. Now, your murder victim, Sharon Reese. <laughs> you write she was a dedicated government employee. I've worked for the provincial government for 34 years. So, there's a lot of things that just kind of hit me. <laughs> okay. So, and it's why I was curious why government employee? Um, I just like it, it goes to the local flavor of this novel. And I know so many writers who used to work for the government. So, why, why, why? dedicated government employee? Why is sharing this? Like, I'm just I'm curious.
1: You know, it's interesting. Like, I don't have any de- direct experience working mm-hmm. with government, but I've definitely been exposed to the world of political figures through my corporate life and financial services. And, you know, I have definitely have friends that work for the government and, um, you know, it was meant to be because I, I think the central tenet, like the central, um, you know, I guess one of the central stories around, around the book is a big um, infrastructure project that has, you know, both public and private money that's invested into it. Um, And that was a lot of it was drawn from what I've seen and experienced um, in the real world working in financial services. So, you know, I think that kind of tied in and without giving away too much of the story, like, you know, the the government element kind of came into play. And I thought it was an interesting angle to play because I I find uh, you know in politics and in, in any government roles it's uh it's quite fascinating you know what the what's happening behind the scenes right and, and what it entails and it's not always what you see on the surface and uh, i really wanted to kind of explore that angle and again drawing on some of my own experiences working in the corporate world, where I've had some exposure, certainly, to how these things work. So um, it was just a really interesting angle for me to kind of be able to bring a little bit of element of my own experience into play
0: from uh, the real world. Cool. Well, it's, it's refreshing. You know, it's refreshing. It's believable. And uh, it is definitely refreshing, believable. And like I said, it kept it hit me because I thought, I'm a dedicated government employee, <laughs> right? <laughs> So it's they're all elements which you know can connect with the reader, right? So yeah, yeah, okay. So do you want to do a little reading from the Lake Templeton Murders?
1: Absolutely, I would love that, and uh, I'm gonna be, you know read a scene that uh, since you brought up my victim, Sharon Reese. I'm going to read a scene in which we kind of find out a little bit more about Sharon's backstory and her, you know, kind of background growing up and escaping a cult. So um, maybe I'll focus on that scene. So uh, I'm just going to get started here. So uh, Sharon's story is gripping. Her mother abandoned her shortly after they arrived at the remote commune in the Haida Gwaii, Queen Charlotte Islands. She relinquished her daughter's hand without hesitation, as if under a trance. A confused Sharon was shuffled screaming and wailing into a wooden cage where she was kept for two weeks. Twice a day, a stone-faced woman would push a leaky cruel through a trapdoor, ignoring Sharon's dirty fingers that tried to grab at her ankles. This was Sharon's initiation. She was seven years old. On the ninth day of her confinement, Sharon stopped crying. She drew inwards. At the two-week mark, they took her out of her cage, washed her down with cold water, and gave her clean clothes. She was cleansed. Now she was worthy. Sharon joined a community of zombies paralyzed by ideological rigidity, haunted souls searching for something elusive. They wore simple clothing and grew their own food. No one talked about where they came from. They were there to be reborn. The cult leader, Jefferson Wall, lived with them like a god among men. When he entered a room, everyone froze in rapt attention. His words were napalm, soothing and irresistible. Several hours every day were spent in prayer, meditating on the leader's sermons. As per the usual cult formula, he had his pick of girls of all ages at the commune. Alcohol abuse was rampant. They drank moonshine, they brewed themselves. Girls as young as 11 were forced fed the brew to dull their senses on nights they had to copulate with the leader. Being drunk was the only way to survive this life. But Sharon never partook, not even once and no one pushed her. Sharon escaped the fate of the younger women at the cult. She was never raped by the leader. Instead, she became his sidekick. He took a keen interest in her, groomed her like a daughter, sometimes slipped her chocolates and let her read the news which only he had access to. Maybe it was because she was stronger than the others. The two weeks at the cage affected her differently. She didn't shrink into a sniveling mess. She lengthened, strengthened and endured. She walked out with her eyes dry and her head held high at seven years old. Sharon said she was not privy to the mass suicide plan. I'm skeptical, She was the only one at the commune that Jefferson Wall took into his confidence. Why would he have kept this from her? Sharon said that the poison in her drink was diluted, not as potent as what others took. Maybe Jefferson Wall wanted her to continue his quest, to build a new flock, to carry on his legacy. So this scene kind of gives us a little bit more insight, you know, as Fatty is kind of digging into Sharon and who she was and what would have led to, to her being in the situation she was in, murdered, washed up on shore. We um, start to learn, like you start to peel back the layers and learn a little bit more about her history and how it kind of ultimately led to to where she ended up.
0: Yeah. So I, I was curious, how did you get that idea with regards to bringing in the cult like because I know BC has had we've had yeah our, our share of cults right so was there anything that what inspired you to bring to bring that in
1: Oh, Joanna, I have to say, I have all kinds of crazy ideas. I read a lot and <laughs> I talk to a lot of people. Uh, I couldn't tell you exactly where that idea came from. It just yeah. kind of, as I was plotting out the book, I'm like, yeah, that would be a really cool backstory to give Sharon. And uh, as I mentioned, I, I read a lot and I did some research. Yeah. Into how these things work. And yes, I looked into some of the, the situations we've had here, right here in BC yeah. and I kind of drew upon that, but uh, you know, I think that's the most fun part of being a writer is taking all of these experiences you've had and things you've read about and people you've met and kind of bringing them together and creating these worlds that I'm probably never going to be exposed to in real life. I hope not. Yeah. But it's just really interesting to kind of, you know, weave those, those in. And um, yeah, I did quite a bit of research in terms of how these things work. I'm, I'm fascinated by it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I, I know with... The book I'm working on now, I was looking up uh, information with respect to The Hague and, you know, going down that rabbit hole and, uh, you know, it was human trafficking. And then it was finding out human trafficking for the purpose of organ removal, right? And there's a whole market and I just... Like you, right? You read all of these different things. And it's interesting how what you read comes together. And you're thinking okay, I think we got a story here. It all like in, in your own mind, right? You Absolutely.
1: Know? Yeah. And it's a lot of
0: fun to do research into those things,
1: right? Like yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's really fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like for like now, what I'm doing is. Like, this is your debut novel, and it the writing in it is so tight, and I hope you, you're thinking of entering it in different contests or writing contests, because it's really good. And so I'm just a little curious with, like right now, I'm reading the book, Refuse to Be Done, how to read, how to write and rewrite a novel in three drafts. And I know our listeners won't see this, but 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 uh, HS, you know it's good when you have so many little yellow Post-its <laughs> down the side and on the top of the page. So our listeners know I just held up this book, and I do. I have yellow Post-its all over the place because there's, there's such good material in here with respect to help writing and rewriting. And in the very beginning of this book, the author – has this mantra and and it's basically, I'm writing a novel. I am writing a novel. Just like, don't, like, don't take that lightly. I am writing a novel, right? And uh, my question to you, and I was on your website and I I think I I have the answer for it, but why did you decide to become an author um, that you, always write did you always read mysteries because writing a novel that is something okay so so why did you decide to become an author
1: you know it's a, it's something that I've always wanted to do and and first of all thank you for the book recommendation I'm definitely uh, looking that up how to write and rewrite a novel in three drafts <laughs> I'm definitely going to be purchasing that book but. Uh, Um, You know, to answer your question, my love for reading and writing goes back as far as I can remember. Like, I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't carrying around a book. And, um, you know, back to my preteen years, and I, you know, I had, um, I grew up in a, in a you know maybe like a repressive society for women before I immigrated to North America at 18, um, and it was uh, difficult difficulty, you know because so I use books as a way of escaping really the reality that that I was living in at the time from a very young age, and of course when I was reading a lot. I started writing, um, it just said, hey, I would love to, you know, like I've got a vivid imagination. I was like, oh, I'd love to put these stories together. And the first thing I ever remember writing, well, I used to write poems even before I was 10. But then the first like, I don't know, series or any kind of lengthier fiction I wrote was probably when I was 12. And, you know, I, um, I wrote this stories or series of stories uh, featuring characters that were based on myself and my friends with super glamorous lives and yeah. you know it's written in long hand in a line notebook back in back in the day when I could write longhand. I can't anymore <laughs> uh, but everyone loved it you know like the books were passed around at school and all the girls just loved it and um, that was kind of my initiation into that world but On the mystery side, I have to say, it was probably when I was 14 or 15, I started reading books by Stephen King and Sidney Sheldon, and it kind of sparked my interest in the mystery thriller genre, right? And, um, you know, obviously books that were unputdownable, as I call them, like I have spent many sleepless nights kind of working my way through these stories. I just couldn't put them down. And, um, you know, it kind of sparked my interest in the genre. And I did a creative writing degree, as you said, in in your... um, introduction but um, you know I always dreamed of becoming a novelist but life got in the way you know I did a degree in business as well and right after college I got a you know job in financial services started building a career in the field and then finally I kind of returned to writing just a few years ago and uh, when COVID hit a couple of years ago I suddenly had more time on my hands yeah. from my extremely busy corporate job and I said this is it I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book <laughs> and it's now or never." and now that i've written it i mean i have so many ideas i don't think i can stop writing again actually because yeah. i just i just love it you know it's uh, it just gives me so much joy i have to say writing
0: these stories that's good that's so good like yeah y- yeah you know because i've i've read um articles about authors and writing and they're saying how there's the uh, there's a term and i can't remember it now but there's the author who writes thinking about the reader Um, And the reader's enjoyment. And then there's the author who writes thinking about um, their own enjoyment from what they, their own enjoyment from their own writing. And I'm that author, you know, like I, I write to entertain myself, you know, and which also makes me my worst critic too. Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I think, you know, if you take pleasure and joy in, in your writing, that
0: comes through to the reader, I have yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. And you said Sydney Sheldon. I remember. I remember. Yeah. Okay. So you said, I'm just thinking about authors you read. So Sidney Sheldon, Stephen King. There's a there's a little bit of a he's a bit of a horror writer there hey yeah yeah. Yeah. any anyone else who like for me it was Dick Francis who stood out for me right yeah
1: good Uh, I have to say recently I've enjoyed books by Harlan Coben and Patricia Cromwell those are some of my my. Favorites, I would say, recently, yeah. but uh, Sydney Sheldon's kind of timeless for me. I have to say, like, because uh, I mean, it, it goes back. I've read every book he's ever written yeah. before he passed away in the early two thousands. Uh, I've I've read every book multiple times. You know. <laughs> Um, and a lot of, you know, the, 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 you talked about the tight narrative, the prose, and the way he, he's, you know, the twists and turns, like a lot of the the way that I write is drawn from from Sidney Sheldon, I have to say, from his influences. Okay. But I do enjoy reading a lot more modern writers, and I love discovering independent writers, you know, that um, are not quite that well-known, because yeah. you can find so many gems. Yeah. Um, so I always love good recommendations on sort of uh, indie mystery writers. Um and I'm so glad that we live in a world where we, we can discover those now, right? Like it's yeah. so much easier now. Um, back in the day when I first wanted to be a writer, like there was no, um, it, was, it was quite difficult to get into the world of, uh, of mystery writing, but I think now there's so many voices out there and I just, I mean, I'm not, I love discovering new voices, let's just yeah. say.
0: Well, that was the thing, because I know um, I was writing in 1998 and that's when I first wrote *The Unraveling* and just trying to to sell it to a publisher. And um, like you said, life got life got in the way, and um, I stopped writing. You know, like I stopped writing for about twenty years. You know, I wrote personal training articles and and that sort of thing. Um, but gosh, I, I I remember picking up that manuscript in 2019, 2018, and reading it. I remember just, I told myself, I didn't give myself any pressure. You know, I just said, okay, read this manuscript. And if you think it's salvageable, then work on it, right? And I remember, (laughs) I remember I had forgotten. Sorry, you just, you're triggering memories here. I remember when I read how the bad guy got killed, I thought, man, you must have had a bad day when you originally wrote this. (laughs) (laughs) Right? <laughs> but
1: uh, Yeah. But that's it, funny because I think we all, we're all all the worst critics as you said, of our own writing, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, I even when I read my own work, I'm like, oh my God, I shouldn't have written it that way or, oh, I should have done this another way. And uh, it's I think
0: we're a little bit too much in our heads as writers, I find. Yeah. And that's what I like about this. You know, I don't, everybody, see, I also find with writing is that you can learn something. And someone may have um, said, let's say, said that same message a year ago, but if it gets delivered in a way that you understand it, it's going to have so much more impact. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's, that's what I find with this book by Matt Bell. Um, you know, I think I'm the, th- the third or fourth author. Like I posted on Facebook that I got this book. And two other authors said to me, I got it. And I've recommended it to three more authors of my friends, right? So, um, you know, and he's saying, just get the words down. Get the words down first, you know, get the, yeah. So anyway, okay. I'm definitely picking it up. You can add one more (laughs) name to the recommendation list there. (laughs) So, So thinking of writing, have you noticed a change in your writing style? Like you're saying more stories are coming to you. So have you noticed a change in your writing style from that first manuscript that you you wrote? Have you noticed as you've been writing and rewriting a change?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that I'm getting better, Joanne. I think like with any writer, we'll always hope that the, the future works we write. I mean, uh, the next book we write is better than the first one we've written. But I have to say my prose is a lot tighter. Like your point, I'm learning to convey a message using less words and, you know, I, the importance of the in the mystery. Like I'm more and more understand the importance to keep the story moving right in in the mystery genre. And that's where, you know, I try to use dialogue a lot because uh, I think it just keeps things so fresh um, without a lot of description. Uh, the early works of writing that I had years and years ago were not in the mystery genre. Like, for example, when I did my um, thesis for my creative writing degree, I was writing general fiction at the time. And, uh, you know, I think in general fiction, you have more you have the luxury to spend more time on description and world building in the mystery genre. It's important to do world building, but it's more important to keep the story moving. So um, again, I think a lot of it is drawn from influences I've had in the past from other writers, but that that area keeps evolving. How to, you know, convey the message
0: more powerfully using less words is really the goal. Yeah. Well um, I had his podcast hasn't dropped yet. So this is a bit of a spoiler, but MN. M. N. Grenside, he wrote Fallout. And when he, oh my gosh, he's a Hollywood producer. And he was saying, it's writing a book and seeing how late you can come into the story, like how late close to like the action, how late can you come into the story? And that's where you want to start, which I think is a great lesson, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is a great lesson. And then I know with my critique partner, she worked for a lawyer who was, he was, this lawyer was very concise in his words. And so then there are times when I'll tell her, okay, I'm giving you porridge to critique. That's what I call it, like first yeah. draft porridge. And I'll look at what she she's done and she'll take a sentence and I remember one day I looked at it and I said, you just eliminated eight words and it is that much stronger, the sentence, right? It and yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so I was on your website and it says that you like supernatural horror movies. So do you have a favorite? You know, you. I love those
1: and they're so cheesy. Some of them, I gotta tell you, you know, <laughs> I'll watch them all. It doesn't matter if they're rated at three on IMDb. I think I've seen everything on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And I just love a good, low budget, highly predictable <laughs> formulaic supernatural horror movie. I think some of it goes back to my uh, early years reading Stephen King. I, I love those stories. Um, but I think horror writing is maybe a little bit outside of my uh, my skill set here but I have to say I mean it, a lot of these movies are really forgettable I have to say you know if you've seen one you've seen them all yeah. but um, one of the favorites I have is a movie called Oculus um, it's about a haunted mirror I've seen it several times I think the story is just so well designed and it's really good I find with some of these movies you know it's, it's more scary when you actually can't see what's happening and you're thinking about it versus if they show you like a you know, an apparition wearing white makeup, like those ones are not good. Um, I also really like this movie. It's called Grave Encounters. It's about an abandoned sanatorium. And this was filmed right here in BC at the old Riverview Hospital site, which I just absolutely love. Um, It's got this like really haunting feel to it. Um, But I have to say like, uh, you know, watching a horror movie, it's my favorite way to unwind after a really taxing week at work when I'm just exhausted and I'm not feeling like, Creative and I just want to watch B movies. That's that's what I do. I do a horror marathon on Netflix or something.
0: Okay, I watch cooking shows. <laughs>
1: well, I love that. Yeah, you oh, must be a really good cook then. Oh, not <laughs> okay. My
0: go-to is The Great Canadian baking show oh i've seen that
1: yeah yeah doesn't it make you hungry though like i find when i watch those shows i get really hungry and then i end up eating all kinds of stuff well
0: i usually we would binge them like i'm missing them like i said that to my husband i go when are they going to start up right like i'm missing my shows and uh i found we would Binge a couple on Sunday night, which is probably the worst time because you see them come out like it's bread week, and the next thing you know, you want to eat muffins and, and croissants, and it's seven yes. o'clock at Sunday night, right? <laughs> you know? Absolutely, that's. Uh, I'm with you on that. They always <laughs> make me hungry, and it's
1: like, oh, maybe I should get takeout.
0: You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, my favorite question. A favorite question I ask all mystery authors. So imagine you are at the Figaro coffee shop near Kitsilano. okay? And Fatih bumps into you. What would she say to you and what would your response be?
1: You know, I think she'd look at me, she'd quickly size me up and she'd realize I can be absolutely no use to her in solving her latest case, and she'd walk right past me. I think Patty, she's got this uncanny ability of being laser focused, but only on people that can help move her agenda forward. And she'd probably just look right through me and say, oh, this person is useless. So oh, why gosh. waste
0: time? <laughs> <laughs> you created her like, hey. <laughs> wow, that's a great answer. I That's why I like asking that question, because I'm always surprised at, at, at what the author says. Right. So, what's next for you? Tell me, there are more of more more novels coming.
1: Absolutely, Joanna. I hope a lot more. I am working on my next book right now. It's the next mystery involving private investigator um, Private Investigator Fatty Rizvi and. Uh, this one is going to be set in West Van, in a like a nice luxury housing neighborhood in West Van. Yeah. I was hoping to publish it this year, but life got in the way. Um, yeah. I am currently expecting my first child in the fall. Yeah. Congratulations! So, uh, <laughs> thank you so much. But um, as you can imagine, it's kind of derailed my my plans of <laughs> writing a little bit. Um, this family responsibility, so I think it might get pushed out into next year. Yeah. But uh, believe me, it's coming. Nothing. can stop fatty from pursuing her next case. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm full of ideas. So
0: I have no intention of stopping at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And do you find um, like, I just had a, I had a conversation with my sister, Linda, and she was talking to me about TVs and old TVs. And I'm writing notes down for like a speculative fiction, parallel universe, something totally different. Book, and as she's talking to me, I'm writing down TVs, lots of TVs in a room. And I told her, I said, "This is this is an idea I've got." You know, so do you find that you'll talk to people and it's just like click, you you get an idea? Oh yeah, happens all the time. (laughs) And
1: uh, you know, I always say, uh, I always plot my books out. But even Lake Templeton Murders, I had plotted it out very very detailed. You know, Mm -hmm. everything is going to happen a certain way, and then it just kind of took a life of its own. And absolutely, the more you talk to people, and you get all these ideas, and you're like, "Oh, what if what if this happens? What if this happens?" And um, your book ends up going in a completely different direction. So, <laughs> I can totally empathize with that.
0: Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's actually one thing I forgot to ask you was whether you plot books or whether you're a pantser. Okay,
1: I'm definitely a plotter. I mean, I, I think it has to do with what I do for a living in financial services. I think that's definitely. I I feel like. I I can write better if I have a roadmap, map but at the same time I don't like sticking to it too firmly because sometimes the story is going to take a life of its own and it's going to end up in a better place so I do plot because I, I like having that map of where I'm trying to get to yeah. but I don't adhere to it too much so I do have a bit of a pantser quality as well as you can imagine um, But I feel like if I didn't have a plot, I would be completely in shambles. So (laughs) I think everyone has their own style, but I don't think I'd be able to get anything written if I didn't at least have a plot to begin with.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, it just, this has been fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for this. And I really do like Fadi Ritzi because she's, she's refreshing. And like I said, she is, um, she doesn't back down and it's, it's great to see, you know, and, and she knows who she is and yeah. So, so I hope, you know, the next book comes along. Let's get you back on here.
1: No, I would love that. Thank you for having me, Joanna. This was great. And I'm looking forward to your next book as well.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um then <laughs>
1: so, I need to pick up that book I think yeah. I'm going to pick that up today like after your strong recommendation I think uh, I think I definitely need to get myself a coffee
0: yeah well it's not too long um and uh yeah I think it's only about it's only 155 pages and uh like I said it, it's it's really good so okay, Fatty sorry, I called you Fatty. Okay, Jess, have a have a great day. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you again. Okay. Have Bye-bye. a great day, Joanna.